Filibuster received sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. If you need legal representation on employment issues, including wage and hour disputes, discrimination and harassment claims, wrongful termination, you need help with a severance package or non-compete clauses, or you just need equal employment opportunity and civil rights representation, general civil litigation, or even defamation, the Ehrlich Law Office has you covered if you are in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia. For a free consultation, head over to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. So last night I made the mistake of eating dinner entirely too early. How early are we talking about? Like five o'clock, which was, is was it at Golden is, Corral or at cafeteria? No, it was. I hop. We we went to visit some friends in Rockville, and uh, we had given them with some other friends. We had given them a really nice grill as part of their baby shower, and we went to meet their new adorable baby and, and meet their new grill. And and yeah. they insisted that we we also reacquainted ourselves, reintroduced ourselves to the grill. So we had burgers, and it was during daylight, and while both babies were awake, because obviously we brought our toddler up there too, and and so it was earlier than we normally eat dinner, which is after we put my daughter to bed. Um, And so I did not eat again when we got home, because I'm trying to not do that anymore on the two-dinner thing. And woke up at 4.30 this morning starving, absolutely starving, and and managed to keep the self-discipline to not get up and get out of bed, but completely failed to go back to sleep. You know so who else? I was just lying in bed for an hour and a half this morning, just being <laughs> yeah. hungry. You know also who is hungry at like 4 and 5 a.m. and wakes up and so on and so forth, and actually ends up bothering me? Your cats? Yes. My cats will come and meow at my door at 5 a.m. So is it safe to assume that your cats and Adam are, are possibly the same thing? I think it's I, – I, yeah. I have caught feline influenza from Ben's cats, whom it's, I've never met. Which manifests itself in, itself in hungry wake-ups yes. too early in the morning. Yep. It, that, that's clearly the obvious explanation, not just I ate dinner too early on Sunday nope. night. Nope, my cats somehow. Cats have transmitted feline influenza – from Richmond to D.C. Actually, then to you. Possibly to Rockville. You and maybe only you. They yeah, are, I, I am patient zero, and there will not be a patient one. Well, maybe you should go out to rest it and quarantine yourself where Ebola rest and quarantined itself. I don't think I will. No, I don't think I'm going to do that. I heard I that I'm there's gonna, no what I'm going to put the populace at risk. Okay. You're just going to be out there? <laughs> I'm just going to... I'm going to be like the, the New Jersey nurse or... Whoever so, it was. So slowly but surely, the entire populace is going to be Ben's Ben's cats. <laughs> <laughs> and this is how the world ends: not with a bang, but with a meow. Cats. Everyone is cats. <laughs> Everyone is cats. <laughs> hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I am Adam Taylor. They are Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We are all from BlackAndRedUnited.com where you can find us writing about DC United, MLS, and whatever else tickles our fancy on any given day. Whatever good show for tickles you. our whiskers. Yeah, whatever toy is being dangled in front of us and wistfully whipped away for us to jump and pounce and flip over. I'm going to write 2,500 words on yarn. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't anybody challenge him to do that. He'll do it. He will. Don't, don't challenge this man. We've got a good show for you tonight. DC United won up in Quebec this weekend, one to nothing over the Montreal Impact. We're going to talk about that game and some of the dubious history that accompanies it. We are also going to talk to uh, a new friend of the show, Rafa Naboa E. Rivera from Hudson River Blue. That's SB Nation's NYCFC blog. Uh, he'll be on <laughs> LOL WTF BBQ. FC blog. Uh, he'll be on to help us preview DC United's trip to Yankee Stadium this week. That's on Thursday. There's no game for United this weekend, so Thursday's the new Saturday, I guess, or something. Uh, before we do anything, though, 
Ben Bromley, what are you drinking? Well, I'm not drinking anything quite yet because I haven't opened it yet, but I have an Elusive Traveler Grapefruit Shandy here in front of me, and I'm going to open it as we speak, live podcasting. You know what happened last time someone had a Shandy on the show, right? No, I don't remember. Sebi Salazar took one sip of it and threw it. Oh, that's true. That's true. So do you have a backup beer that you can also open on air when you decide you don't like this? I mean, I don't immediately, but I can pause while y'all are talking and (laughs) run downstairs. But we'll see. Hopefully this is good. We're all dramatically waiting for Ben to have a No, we really are. (laughs) I told you. We do not have a good history with Shandy's on this show. Grapefruit shandies, I expect. It just doesn't even make sense to me. If you all could watch the video podcast of this, it would just be me sticking my tongue out. Picture, picture. It's got all the bitter. It's got all the bitterness of grapefruit and the bitterness of beer and. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a good combination. What's the, to me. the poison control guy, Mr. Yuck? The little stickers they used to put <laughs> yeah. things. Yeah, that was what Ben did. Ben, ben went Mr. Mr. Yuck. All right, Ben is Mr. Yuck. I am a cat. Jason. <laughs> We'll figure. We'll figure. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Stop. What is, Stalin. <laughs> in the meantime, what are you drinking? Uh, I have something that I know uh, is is acceptable to drink. Um, I made myself a black Russian. Um, it was a little too heavy on the Kahlua, so I I threw a little milk in, so it's kind of a dark brown Russian rather than a black Russian. But See, it, you know, I, I told you, Stalin. Yeah, <laughs> that's Jason. But I've already I've already got a Stalin in my life. <laughs> I don't need to be the new Stalin. I think we should just Jason explained it before the show. We're just not going to let him no. explain it again, though. Um, I am drinking a nice bowl of milk, uh, which is to say, <laughs> I thought you were going in a different direction with bowl-related intoxicants. Um, well, I am drinking a beer from Colorado. Uh, I'm drinking New Belgium's Long Table. It's their take on a Saison. It's a little heavier than most Saisons, I guess. Not not quite as just the, uh, not quite as much of the raw sweetness, but a lot of maltiness in it. It just it 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 almost doesn't fit for a summer, which for a summer beer, which actually works for today when it was a little bit cooler and grayer and rainier in DC. So. Uh, it's it's a decent beer for for tonight, but I don't know if it's one I'm gonna be seeking out anytime soon. Let's get to the soccer. DC United made history for the second straight game this weekend, becoming first MLS team ever to win a game after taking a single shot, being credited, I should say, with a single shot for the entire game. No shots off target, no shots blocked, one shot on target, one goal, three points. I, it worked well. That was Chris Rolfe who, who scored it after Jairo Arrieta stripped the ball in midfield and put him through on goal. The real story, though, Jason, had to be Bill Hamid, right? He has to be yeah. the, the first actual talking point of this game. Yeah, any, anytime uh, your team produces one shot attempt for the entire 90 minutes while giving up 25, um, your goalkeeper is going to have to play really well. And Hamid came back from injury. We didn't know... Uh, we, you know, once he once he was included in the traveling party, you had to sense that he was going to play. Um, I feel like they made that decision before they left. Um, but it's still, you know, seeing him come back at the front end of his recovery time rather than the back end, as is normally the case, um, was a pleasant surprise. And uh, he gave us a Bill Hamid uh, performance. Um, you know. Montreal was wasteful with their finishing, but they still had enough chances where uh, eventually quality or quantity just allows you to have good looks. And Hamid made the save every single time. Um, I did say this during the game, and I'm sticking with it, that this wasn't even Hamid's best performance of the season. Um, For a lot of the people that were watching the game from outside of D.C. uh, and maybe hadn't seen every single game... um, I thought Hamid could have been a little cleaner uh, in his saves. There are a couple rebounds he let up that are uncharacteristic, um, which I attribute entirely to the layoff. Um, well, you know, being and out he said he weeks. wasn't even up to 100% in this game. Right, um, and, and that that probably was some kind of factor, um, just the, the lack of getting into a rhythm from uh, day-to-day training and things like that. 
Um, but it's a credit to him that even in that scenario, he managed to make sure that every single um, save that he had to make ended up not turning into a goal, whether it was the one where he saved it and then he had to, uh, the ball rolled down towards his feet and he had to get up and get back down again to um, make sure the ball wasn't uh, poked in, um, and a few other opportunities where um, he got the job done. Um, and sometimes you have to do that when you're when you're coming back off of an injury and you're not at your your best sharpness. You still have to produce if you're in the game. You still have that responsibility. And we've seen Hamid deliver on that front over and over again. So it's just another um, another page in I guess the legend of Bill Hamid at this point is that he's coming back from injury at um, faster than expected speed to stand on his head against Montreal in a game where his team was only going to provide him with one shot. Uh, it, I don't know what you say at this point. Um, other than, you know, if, if it wasn't for his time off, I think he'd be running away with goalkeeper of the year again. I think the only thing that stops him this time is that um, people might say, oh, he only played X number of games. That might be the only thing that gets in the way. Well, that's a silly reason to not vote him goalkeeper of the year when he well, has performances like this. I this is this I, is MLS, I, though. I, like, I'm biased. We hand, out, we hand out silly awards for silly reasons. It's... Um, that's that's we, a really good point. He'll, he'll still get, don't have a player of the year award. We maybe just we can him. get him. Maybe we can get him the comeback player of the year award. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> no, he's not wearing an LA Galaxy jersey though. Oh, that's a good point. Uh, let's talk about that history I mentioned. Uh, United, like I said, became the first MLS team ever to win while take while being credited with just a single shot. Um, obviously, that means it probably wasn't a great performance on the offensive side of the ball for United. The other numbers bear this out. Their passing percentage was a woeful 66%. They could not hang on to the ball, and that shows in the possession stat, 32.3%. Montreal had more than twice as much of the ball than D.C. It was it was bad, and they led on shots 25-1. to 1. Eight of those 25 were on goal. All eight were saved by Bill Hamid. Um, Ben, what did you think of this performance overall? Obviously, a lot to be desired on the offensive side, but a clean sheet's a clean sheet. So where do you come out on this, on how you feel a a couple days later? I mean, yeah, I don't feel great about it. I mean, yeah, it it was a poor uh, interperformance between the two forwards. They were a little too similar. And we, we kind of knew that going in, but there wasn't much to be done about that. But it was also a surprisingly bad performance from both Perry Kitchen and Davey Arnault. They didn't have a great job possessing the ball in the middle. Perry Kitchen did pretty fine with his defensive work, but he was much worse in his uh, possession and passing and all of that. So it only intensifies the calls that people have had for um, Marcus Halstead to come in and spell one of them or maybe eventually take over for Davy Arnault because obviously no one's going to take over for Parrot Kitchen but obviously it was and even even in the even in the back Steve Birnbaum I mean the the center back pairing had a better game in that they didn't give up a goal in the first couple of minutes of the game but they still didn't have a great performance but hopefully they're trending back towards uh their what we know that they can do, and this is just another step on that. But the whole spine of the team didn't play great in possession, and you have six of your players and the six core players of possession not doing very well. It's hard to maintain maintain possession. Yeah, one guy who tends to help a lot with possession uh, and has been playing at the top of his game these last few weeks is Nick DeLeon. He came off at halftime in this one. Uh, I think for precautionary reasons because he was at risk of an overuse injury like a hamstring injury or something. Um, at least that's, I think, Jason, I, I heard you say that at some point. Um, well, I never mentioned they... overuse. I just um, That okay. was what Dave, Dave Johnson uh, and Santino Caronta hinted at that being uh, something that was thought of going in. So okay, gotcha. I guess, I guess that De Leon has something that's you know on the edge and they didn't want to push it further than that. I mean, yeah, we definitely can't afford another injury right now. Yeah, especially right. to the the guy playing the best soccer on the team. Um, that said, he still did come off. Connor Doyle came on for him. What changed for did did anything change, or was it just more Montreal now, <laughs> banging it, on Bill Hamid's door once Doyle re- came on? Really, nothing changed. Um, 
United didn't really the the adjustment they needed to make was somebody either Arieta or Saborio had to help link the midfield to the attack. Um, and the expectation was that Arieta would do that. He's done it before, maybe not as well as Espindola or Rolf can do it, but he can do that. And instead we saw stretches of time where Saborio ended up playing underneath of him just to try and help out, um, which is not really how that system is supposed to work. Um, Doyle, it wasn't his fault that the game didn't turn around or anything. Um, I think Montreal deserves some credit. They seemed to key on pressuring Perry Kitchen when he received the ball. As soon as he received the ball, um, Ignacio Piatti uh, was pressuring him a lot, which is not normally the, the thing you think of when you think of someone like that. Um, the other attacking players from Montreal helped as well. Um, and his passing was down to like basically two-thirds uh, success rate, uh, which is way, way, way below his normal uh, level. Um, and, I, and I think Montreal saw that if they could cut that uh, out of D.C. United's possession, if, if they took Kitchen's ability to take the ball from the defense and move it into the midfield, um, they might be able to cause basically just long balls to no one. Um, and in, United never even really got – it wasn't like they were playing a ton of long balls. It's just that they couldn't get the ball. They kept trying to play through the midfield, and they just couldn't do it. Um, so daily on substitution, the way the game was going, I'm not sure a wide player could even help that much. Um, they needed either a change in the center somewhere, um, or they needed to adjust the tactics entirely. But um, just making a switch to protect him, it, di- it didn't really change anything for United, which isn't really a great uh, compliment. It's not a good situation to be in where your center backs are constantly having to defend um, you're, and, and the whole, well, the whole team is ha- constantly having to defend. Um, just in general, I would say that Doyle did about what you would expect in the situation. He didn't really, um, I, I would have hoped maybe a little for, uh, from his work rate being a little more disruptive defensively, but that's about it. That's the only real quibble I can have there. Um, it just, the game, the way the game was going, um, it was a system wide, um, uh, drop off and everyone was was giving up the ball in bad spots and that's this is what happens as you end up getting shelled. Um I do think that the number of shots is kind of a fluke. Um we saw Kemp had a cross that uh almost went into the goal directly. Um and if if Evan Bush hadn't slapped it away, it would have been counted as a shot on goal even though it wasn't intentionally a shot. Um there was another cross that he put in that Bush and Arietta slammed into each other on that um even though Bush didn't make a save, he did have to do something important to prevent a goal. So I think on another night, even playing as badly as they did with the ball, United ends up with a few shots, and, and we're not talking about making history. Um, but here we are. You know, This team has a, way, a knack for finding a way for, to find strange records and, and break them. Yeah, of course the, the most recent one is being the first team to ever come down from two goals down in consecutive weeks or in consecutive games, to get any result in both games other than a loss. Um, and, in fact, they won both of them. So United now, for the first time this year, has won three games in a row. Ben, Fabian Espindola didn't play in this one. He, he took a knock or, or suffered some kind of injury in training on Friday. Word is it's pretty minor, but he's supposed to have a scan on his knee this week. If he can't go for Thursday in the Bronx... What do you think, what changes should Ben Olsen make from from his Montreal side? Should we see Sabo and Arietta up top again? Arietta came up big uh, in his one moment when he really had to and provided the created the turnover and provided the assist on the goal. But a lot of people, myself included, I'd say, want to see Chris Roth up there with, with Sabarillo instead. What do you want to see? Yeah, I definitely want to see Chris Rolf up top with Sabarillo. I think they provide the necessary compliments for each other. Uh, right now, I would probably prefer to see Doyle or if Pontius is ready for a full 90, which he probably isn't at this point. Even uh, if he's ready to go for an hour. Yeah, if he's ready to go for yeah an hour, I'd like to see Chris Pontius over Doyle. I mean, I know he hasn't had the best year, but he's coming back from an injury again. We can't really evaluate him off of a short cameo uh, in Montreal. We know even even earlier this season he was 
playing better than Doyle. Uh, and Doyle's been playing well on left at left midfield, but I still think Chris Pontius is a better option. So if you can go 60 minutes and then put in Doyle for the last 30 out on left midfield, I would love to see uh, Rolf and Saborio partner up top. Jason, what do you think? I think after watching this team fail to link between the midfield and forwards, it has to be Rolf. Um, and whether it's if Pontius can do it, so be it. But I, I would have my doubts um, given how long he was out and how this injury was supposedly a minor one suffered in a warm-up, and then it lasted, what, six weeks? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And his injury history, I, I think you have to take it very slow with Pontius. Um, so if Rolf moves up front and Michael Farfan isn't suddenly ready to play an hour, then you've got to go with Doyle. And uh, yeah, th- there's a positive there. Doyle's willingness to run will help on that small surface, and I think that might be important because New York, as we'll get into later, is not exactly known for the work ethic of their midfielders. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's another there's another wide midfield question, too. Sorry to interrupt, but if, no, Nick, Daly, if Nick DeLeon can't go, then right. we're talking then, about two reserve well, wide midfielders. Then, right, and, and at that point, it you probably end up with Doyle on the right and Rolf on the left, and you just sort of suffer through with the same forward tandem again. Um, unless Miguel Aguilar um, is brought back um, after spending yeah. some time with Richmond. Um, but then the issue there is Aguilar is more of a winger than a midfielder. He wants to stay wide, and New York City's uh, surface at Yankee Stadium is not really conducive for a player that wants to exploit space on the wing. There isn't any space on the wing. That's why their games turn into these crazy pinball matches. So it, I personally, I feel like this would have been a better match to have Aguilar uh, against Montreal but uh, you know, their, their, the loan down to Richmond probably helped him getting some, some, some action in as a young player. So um, we'll see. It's going to be an interesting decision that they have to make, whether De Leon was preserved um, or if um, you know, the preserving him prevented an injury or whether um, we're going to have to rest him for another game to make sure that we're not without him for you know, all of September or something like that. Um, but it is another test of depth. Right when we thought, just when we thought we were out, they pull us back in. Um, <laughs> is what's happening. That's always the way. We're we're like Frank Simeon up in here. Hopefully we. All right, I won't. I won't finish that sentence just in case <laughs> anyone hasn't seen the season two finale yet. Um, I will talk about another Frank though. Yes. Awesome segue, Adam. Wow. Good work. I will Thank talk about another so Frank. Though well. so, Frank Clopas. <laughs> Frank Klopas, after the game, uh, threw a tantrum my 15-year-old, or 15-month-old, would be really proud of. He blamed the loss on the refs and and just basically didn't want to take any responsibility for his team failing to beat the best goalkeeper in MLS. Ben, you you saw the press conference, or, or saw saw the video, I'm sure. What did you, what did you make of Frank Klopas in the sour grapes? It's just hilarious. I mean, every team in MLS has to deal with the refs. It's not just him. He could have had two players sent off for red cards uh, easily in that game, and his team had 25 shots. The fact that they didn't win that game is on his players and not on the refs. So he has... His complaint was also really stupid based on a stupid misunderstanding of how cards work in soccer and yes. it comes across sounding really conspiratorial just because you have just because you have more fouls doesn't mean you should have had more cards as well especially when the cards are coming from dissent or or other non persistent infringement he could have said DC United should have had more persistent infringement yellows and he'd arguably have a case for that but saying they had more fouls and therefore they should have more yellows and we had less fouls but we had more yellows and therefore the ref was bad is just beyond idiotic right that is is a logical fallacy at its most explicit and and I would bring up the Clopas fallacy there you go if, if anything Montreal was the team that should have been ending up in worse trouble um Johan Venegas uh, should have gotten an early yellow card for a cheap shot. Uh, and cheap shot and um, trying to be uh, Mr. Macho and, and pose at Chris Corbin and talk to him over nothing. Um, Chris Corbin was just shepherding the ball out of bounds. 
and Venegas not only fouled him but then continued to try and provoke him. That didn't get a yellow, and then he got one later. And then after that, um, late in the game, uh, United tried to play Chris Pontius through, and Venegas just clearly obstructed him, and it was a clear professional foul to break up a promising attack. Um, he could have been sent off. He probably should have been sent off. Uh, Marco Donadell uh, tried to murder somebody with a tackle, um, as he tends to do most games. Uh, when when Donadell doesn't score a spectacular goal or make a spectacular pass, he's usually trying to take someone's leg off. Yeah, this um, was the third straight game that Donadell got a yellow card, by the way. Yes, and he's I, if I'm not mistaken, he's leading the league. I think he's on 10 at this point. Yeah, he's um, at least in the top three in the league. I know basically, that. if you see Marco Donadell playing, you can assume he either has a yellow card or is about to get one. Yeah, um, and but, it's funny because he's not a guy that commits a lot of fouls. It's no. just he saves up all his fouls and, like, distills them into really bad cheap shots. Right, and and so... Uh, on or really bad parts, tackles. He's just bad at tackling, maybe. Uh, on multiple fronts, Montreal didn't have a complaint to make about the referee, and, and several of the calls against D.C. were kind of soft. Um, uh, I'm, a couple of the fouls, it, it escapes me now, but as the second half wore on, it seemed like mm-hmm. if United got a 50... To, uh, nor, what normally would be a 50-50 challenge or shoulder-to-shoulder, it would be a foul. Um, and so that kind of inflated these statistics uh, as well in terms of how many fouls mm-hmm. were called. But in general, I thought, um, if anything, Soren Storkel was a little lenient with Montreal, and yet it's Frank Klopas trying to distract from his under-pressure team failing to score a goal at home by f- blaming the referee. And I, I suppose next time it'll be the weather or the playing <laughs> surface or yeah. what Here, have you. But, here's my question I'm going to close the segment out on. More ridiculous, Frank Clopas's little tantrum or the RSL Twitter feed referring to Bobby Boswell's phantom penalty and saying he was diving? Which is so more ridiculous? No, the, 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 the RSL one is still more ridiculous because there was very obvious visual evidence that his jersey was being pulled back um, over and over again. And <laughs> um, I guess everyone in Utah just decided to ignore that angle because they. Uh, I noticed that the longer that went on, the more often the first angle shown on the replay was brought up, which is where Boswell's body is is obstructing your view of where the foul is. Right. You still, see, you, but you even then you still see his shirt suddenly get tight uh, across the front. It, it shirts don't do that on their own. It's not a magic shirt. It's a regular shirt. Um, it's a little more expensive, I guess, than a regular shirt. But, other than that, <laughs> but it is not, in fact, a it magic shirt. It does not it does have magic water. properties. It does yes. with water very well. But that can be proved by science. That's not a magic thing. <laughs> um, no, he got hauled down in the box, and that, that one was worse. I think Klobos was just looking for something to blame this result on other than his misfiring players and, I guess, unwilling to admit that maybe changing your tactics in a game where if your opponent can't keep the ball and you're on, you're putting them under that much siege, maybe play with two strikers for the last five, ten minutes uh, instead of sticking with your same formation over and over again. Um, or pull a defender. Do something else other than what you did, which is just keep doing the exact same thing. Um, so maybe that's what he should be worried about, but this is MLS, and we don't tend to worry about what we did wrong. We worry about why the ref is bad. All right, we'll be right back with our uh, talking to Rafa Naboa E. Rivera about the next team United will beat with the help of the refs. Stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, you know how you're always going on and on about legal advice on this show? Well, and yeah. Not, and you never, ever use the term correctly? Well, of course not. I try not to use the term correctly. Right. Our new sponsors, the Ehrlich Law Office, they do use the term correctly all the time. In fact, that is what they do. Oh, so if I actually wanted legal advice, I should probably go to them? Yeah, exactly. If you're in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia, they handle employment issues, general civil litigation, defamation, lots of stuff. Uh, They have you covered. Jason, I'm sorry, they do not have you covered because you are in Maryland where they are not operating just yet. Uh, Fine. So... Ehrlich Law Office, it's, a, it's really good people. Uh, Josh is their, their main proprietor, Josh Ehrlich. Uh, he's a law school friend of mine. His, one of their, their attorneys, Ben, uh, a lot of our listeners know him from games and, and other places. So, guys, for a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. 
Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Uh, it's time now to talk about the future. DC United will make their first trip to Yankee Stadium this week to play NYCFC. That game will be at 7, streaming on MLS, MLS Live and DCUnited.com. No TV coverage on traditional old-school TVs in the, the DC region this week. Uh, first game this year, I think, that's not on TV. We won't get into that. We'll save that for another time. Right now, we are going to talk to a man to help us preview this game. His name is Rafa Naboa E. Rivera, excuse me, from okay. Hudson River Blue, SB Nation's NYCFC blog. Rafa, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks for joining us. What are you drinking tonight? I am drinking Astoria's finest tap water. I hear New York tap water is actually the best in the world. It's fantastic, actually. Um, I highly recommend it. And, um, you know, I'd show you what it is, except it's water. <laughs> you know, there, there it's, been... it, it, it's not like it looks any different from any other kind of tap water that you've ever drunk. But it's actually really good. The the first apartment I ever lived in in D.C., the tap water did not look like tap water from anywhere else. <laughs> no. It, it, was, it was not no. something you wanted to see. I mean, full disclosure, I actually used to live in D.C., so... I could totally empathize with that. I used to live in Petworth. Okay. Yeah, this was this was closer to Capitol Hill, but okay. Um, still not a not a great apartment. No, I, I I can imagine. I we're gonna break from our usual format a little bit. And I'm gonna give okay. Jason the first question tonight. Sweet. Uh, uh, Rafa, this is difficult for me. Um, <laughs> so you let it all out, man. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Uh, let it all out. I, I feel like it, it is a little my fault just because I talked it up so much before we actually got a chance to uh, put him on the field. But uh, how much fun has it been to watch Thomas McNamara play for your team rather than someone else's team? And more importantly, can we have him back? <laughs> no, you can't have him back. Let me I answer that. the second just question first. You can't have it's him back. Ours. He's ours. He's West Nyack. <laughs> He's West Nyack's Tommy McNamara, um, or Tom McNamara, as he sometimes goes by, apparently. Um, it's It's been fantastic. I mean, you know, one of the things that I mentioned uh, way back when New York City FC first got him in the expansion draft was that, you know, if you actually took time to, like, to watch him play, uh, McNamara really reminds you of one of those, like, old-school South American kind of, like, number 10-type midfielders. Um, maybe not so much with the skill set of like a traditional South American number 10, but definitely with um, the way he looks, the way he kind of pinballs around the field, um, the kind of really high energy, high tempo game that he brings. Um, and he's, and the first couple of games that he played for New York City were a little bit rough just because he'd been injured and um, he really hadn't had a chance to play. But ever since he's gotten into the full flow, of starting games and going into games and so on, he's been fantastic for New York City. And I think he's been one of the finds um, for both Reyna and Kreis, although, I mean, the fact that he was playing for Chivas USA means that it wasn't like he was an unknown quantity by any means, plus, you know, him having been in college. Um, Though he did only get about a third of a season in at Chivas yeah, USA exactly. it was, before it he was, went down hurt. It was yeah. 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 But still, I mean, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty as to, you know, what he would have there. And, you know, he's, it's been a really pleasant surprise watching him. So McNamara aside, I mean, he's obviously mm -hmm. one of the, the world-class stars. Absolutely. light blue Apparently. up there. Um, but, but NYCFC, get, they get most of their press for guys like David Villa, Andre Pirlo, Frank Lampard. Mm -hmm. Who's actually been the best player in light blue this year? That's a great question. Um, I would say, obviously, you have to count McNamara in that regard a little bit. Um, I think in terms of having an actual impact, despite the fact that he really hasn't played a whole lot, um, number 88, Quadwo Poku. Um, That's the only, correct answer, by the way. <laughs> you know, I, I would say that I think for having played now about 500 50, maybe 600 minutes, um, counting last night, uh, he's had 
a far greater impact than any other player has for NYCFC. And uh, frankly, I think it's time, it's past time for him to be starting games at this point. Um, they're three zero and zero when he plays. Um, they're the numbers. Their their goal scored averaged is much higher when he starts a game than when he doesn't. You know, coming off the bench. You know, and there's this sort of like trope um, amongst NYCFC fans that's like, oh, we like. Poku coming off the bench, you know, late in the game, yada, yada, yada. And I just don't think it's really borne out by the game tape. If you actually watch the game, he's much better when he starts than I think when actually he... someone cited Jason Christ saying a, making a similar argument, too. Saying what? Coming saying off the bench? That, saying that po- some of Poku's uh, production is in part due to when he's coming into games late in matches. Um, I, I... I Maybe mean, I, I, I'm not saying Jason Christ is correct. I'm not citing no, him no, as no, a, no. an authority I, I, figure. I would say, I, I would say, obviously we got a limited data data sample size here. Um, I think maybe that was true the first couple of games, perhaps. Um, mm-hmm. But frankly, that three assist game came when he started. Um, you know, and he was combining with David Villa and um, Andrea Pirlo against Orlando, and it was a fantastic, just you know, dominating performance. So, I think. Honestly, the guy that he reminds me of is, um, if you're really up in your La Liga, is a guy named Julio Baptiste, um, who I think used to play for Valencia, if I'm not mistaken. But he was really kind of a second forward type of guy. Um, He was just a huge physical presence. And he brought both speed and physicality and really muscularity um, to his play inside the penalty box. And I think that's what uh, Poku brings. And I think, honestly, um, when I wrote that really scathing article, Ripping Mix, a new one last week, um, that apparently seems to have motivated him. Um, if, <laughs> if you have to go, if, you know, if you go by, you know, the performance that he put in last night, um, I, you know, the lineup that I actually sketched out for New York City FC, I would say, you know, first of all, this is not a great lineup that they have in a lot of ways just because there are some real clear deficiencies. We could talk about this a little bit. Um, but, <laughs> we will. You know, you, you, know you, you basically have the same back line that we saw last night against um, the New York Red Bulls. And then you have Lampard and Pirlo sort of at the bottom. And so you're almost playing maybe kind of like a 4 4 one, one, um, or maybe a 4-2-3-1. You know, if, if, but you know, clearly it's a very fluid... Um, alignment, but you basically have Lampard and Pirlo at the bottom, and then you have sort of a front three midfield of McNamara on the left, Poku up top, um, and Mix on the right, and then David Villa up top as the striker. Um, but really, Poku's sort of occupying that number 10 slash second striker role um, a little bit. Um, I say that, you know, that lineup, like any other lineup for New York City FC, has deficiencies, mostly because you're asking... Um, Frank Lampard, and really particularly Andrea Pirlo, to do something um, that they're not particularly great at doing. Um, and that's, you know, A, cover ground, B, um, defend and shield the back line. And, and Pirlo's just, that's not his game at all in any way, shape, or form. And we saw that in full display last night. Yeah, and it's not not the first time his, his appearances, even at Juventus, were had more akin to a stroll in the park than a, a physical sporting event. Sure. I mean, and I think if you saw some of those performances in the Champions League, it was readily apparent, which is why, you know, you know, when we first – I actually wrote an article saying, you know, I hope that – even though – I'll be the first to say, Andrea Perlo is probably one of my top three favorite players. Sure. Um, and, I, you know, frankly – I really didn't want New York City FC to sign him precisely for that reason because you already had Frank Lampard and Pirlo, even more than Frank Lampard, is somebody around whom you really have to structure your whole team around. Um, And so it makes sense to have one or the other, but not both. Um, So from that perspective, you know, if you're going to have Andrea Pirlo, you need to have people who are going to shield him. Um, 
and the, you know, whenever you mentioned you know his very real deficiencies and so on and so forth, there were a lot of people screaming. But you know, he covered so much ground, and he did this and the other, and he's just, you know he's a deep lying playmaker and yada yada yada, and it's Andrea Pirlo, and I'm like, like I get that, you know, I am not making this argument ignorant of the man's qualities. In fact, I am making it as somebody who is very well aware of the man's qualities. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some very real flaws, and those flaws are very apparent if you actually spend time, you know, watching the man's career, like I have. Um, you know, and that's not a slight to the guy. He would tell you the exact same thing if you asked him. You know, um, and so, you know, the fact of the matter that you know he did this and that or the other in the Champions League final is great and all. Um, it doesn't erase the fact that he has some, you know, serious liabilities, and we've seen those liabilities now in two games. And it's a liability that the NYCFC roster doesn't seem to be built to cover right now. No, of course not. Um, and I would and I would tell you, and I would say also, look, um, and I said this last night in talking with some fans. I took in um, the derby match at you know one of the fan bars here in New York City. Um, a fantastic experience. And you know what I said in conversation was like, look. Um, what a lot of people have to understand, particularly if they're new to the league, is that, look, clearly Major League Soccer is not a preeminent league. It's not there yet. Will it get there? Sure. Uh, but it's clearly not there yet. That being said, we are also not dealing with idiots here. Um, the thing that a lot of people don't realize about American coaches, as opposed to coaches in other places is that American coaches are uniquely an obsessive lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I guarantee you, and you probably know this better than I do, but I guarantee you, just based on my slight knowledge of Ben Olsen, I guarantee you that Ben Olsen probably spends 80 to 90 hours a week preparing for a game. If he's anything at all like any other American coach, he's probably just as obsessive as any American football coach. Okay, And he... I guarantee you that he's watched game tape of Andrea Pirlo at Brescia. He's watched game tape of Andrea Pirlo at AC Milan. He's watched game tape of Andrea Pirlo at Juventus. And he's watched game tape of Andrea Pirlo. At, I guarantee you he is probably dreaming in Italian. You know, and if you catch him unaware and you shake him awake at 3 o'clock in the morning, he's going to answer you, not just in Italian, but in Andrea Pirlo's northern Italian dialect. <laughs> Because <laughs> he's probably that obsessive, and I guarantee you, other MLS coaches are that obsessive. You know, the contrast between MLS coaches and European coaches here is really instructive. Because European, co- a lot of European coaches are notorious. I, you know, Jurgen Klinsmann is a good example of this. Of just basically saying we have to express ourselves. Go out there and do your thing, boys. And that's basically the totality of the game instruction. Okay, you know, that's not how American coaches, well, you know deal with the game. And I guarantee you that, you know, a lot of guys watched game tape of that um, Orlando game that Pirlo had, and they basically saw the, you know, the holes that could be exploited. Montreal did that. Frank Copeless did that. And Frank Copeless is not a good coach. And I'll kind of tell you, <laughs> we were just Frank talking Kulpas, about that fact, yeah. actually. <laughs> you know? And if Frank Copeless could see that and game plan around that, then I guarantee you Bruce Arena did that. I guarantee you that Greg Berhalter has done that, and I guarantee you that Ben Olsen has done that. And so the question then is going to be, what does Jason Kreis do about it? And my res- and you know, I don't know that there's a lot, whole lot that he can do, quite frankly. Yeah. Let, let's talk some more about your, your column you wrote last week about Mix Discarude. You caught some okay. flack from it for it from, I caught a lot from of other flag. NYC fans. <laughs> And you are I an NYCFC fan. You're, you're not yeah. some unbiased journalist. You are a fan of the team. Um, sure. But you wrote a column advocating for NYCFC to sell Mixed And that he has been bad and he showed up. But... Um, multifaceted. Because really, honestly, it's really two columns in one. And, you know, the first part, obviously... Um, it's mixed discrude, and he's been a bad player for New York City FC. Um, and, you know, for that reason, is it really justifiable for him to be making $750,000? Um, and there were a lot of responses. There were a lot of feelings. People have a lot of feelings about Mix, and it's very understandable. Mix is a great guy. Um, I like spending time with the guy and the chances I've had, you know, the opportunities I've had to spend with him, you know, few and far between as they have been. Um, 
that said, uh, you know, Mix reminds me a lot of the guy, and, and I guarantee you, if any of you guys have girlfriends, um, they will immediately nod furiously at this. Mix is very much like the kind of guy your partner's dated, who is all about having his girlfriend make the hard money whilst he sits back on the couch and he plays the guitar, and I gotta live my dream, baby. You gotta let the mix be the mix. You know? <laughs> he does write poetry. You know? He does. He writes Twitter poetry. Yeah. It's true. He does. He does. Um, and, and the thing of it is, is that um, you know, have have we maybe placed a whole lot of burden on Mix's shoulders that perhaps is underserved? Um, I'm sure there's a case for that. Um, and he's NYCFC's fourth highest paid player. Um, you know, and obviously that amount is knocked down with tons of Garber bucks. Um, but that has an impact on the roster. And you know, you got to be able to build a. You know, you have to have the flexibility to build a roster. And right now, and that's really the second part of the article, which is that. And this is not in any way, shape, or form Mix's fault. This is not a very well-constructed roster. And it's tough for expansion teams to construct a roster. Let's stipulate that. Um, yeah. Because you're dealing a lot with the dregs of the league by and large. Um, I think New York City FC, for a number of reasons, has not done as good a job as they maybe could have. Um, I think hindsight is operational here. Um, because at the time that they had their expansion drafts, a lot of people had praised, myself included. Um, I, I do not accept myself from this. You know, praised New York City FC's drafting. Um, but even then, I would say that I had a little bit of questions. Um, drafting George John, it's a great move. If George John was ready to play at some point in the season, okay? The fact of the matter was he's not, and so that that goes to basic due diligence. I mean, how do you not realize? How do you draft a guy and not know that he's going to be unready to, you know, to play the season? Um, and if he's not going to be ready to play the season, then you're really looking at, you know, what has it been now? Two, almost three seasons since he has played. Um, what's your assurance that he's going to be anywhere near? to the same player that he was before he got injured. You don't have, you know, that assurance. I mean, and I think, you know, Guchon Yehu is instructive here. You know, mm -hmm. so is that a guy that you want clogging up your roster? Um, it, it's a business, first and foremost. Um, and that's, you know, that's a statement that was, you know, thrown back, you know, in response. You know, well, you know, signing mix, you know, it's a business decision, not just a soccer decision. Okay, I get that. Um, but is anybody really going to Yankee Stadium to watch mixed screwed pay? I mean, let, let's be really honest here. Let's be real. If you're a casual fan, are you really going to go see mixed play? Or are you going to see Lampard, Pirlo, David Villa? Because those are the guys. Oh, and by the way, here's a U.S. national teamer play, playing mixed screwed. Okay. Um, so the marketing impact is sort of on the margins here because you're dealing with New York City FC. I mean, it'd be a different story if he was playing in, say, Minnesota, for example, okay, because he would probably be your star player in Minnesota, um, much the same way that probably Aaron Johansson will be, you know, if and when he decides to come to MLS. Um, so I wasn't granting, you know, the premise of that argument. And really when you get down to it, he really hasn't performed up to par. Um, has he been played out of position? Sure. But again, that's really a fundamental question. What is his position? You know, that's a question that his coaches have had to deal with. You know, you know, one of the responses was, you know, well, he's got potential. Okay, but at 24, you kind of are who you are as a player. Um, and this isn't a guy like Poku who's very raw or a guy like McNamara, who's coming from the college ranks, or even Kyrie Shelton, you know, who got drafted. This is a guy who's been a pro for seven years. Um, and I made the assertion um, on Twitter, look, there's a reason Rosenborg let him walk on a transfer for free. He didn't have a whole lot of suitors. And it's because he is who he is as a player. He's a luxury player. Um, and that's he's not a complimentary piece. He is, he's totally a complimentary piece. And really what this gets down to is the short-termism of New York City FC's roster. And what that gets back to, then, is the original sin. And the original sin was the signing and all the lying around the signing of Frank Lampard. Okay? Because Frank Lampard was the second designated player that they signed, and he was supposed to be there the entire season, and then he wasn't. And so, you know, 
if you look at the timeline, Mix really got signed two weeks after the announcement came that he was going to be staying in Manchester City for the entire EPL season. And New York City fans were livid. And so, you know, it was a short-term decision. Well, we'll sign Mix, and that'll help assuage fans. Okay, great. But then, you know, what do you do with Mix? And then, if you know, again... You know, the signing of Pirlo, clearly a short-term move because Pirlo is available. Okay, but does it make sense to sign Pirlo with this roster? Um, and so that gets – and so from there, you then get back to the ultimate question. Um, and this is really where, you know, a lot of New York City FC fans are saying, you know, we'll fire Christ. Okay, but I don't know that firing Christ is the answer because really what you got to ask yourself is – how much control does Jason Christ really have over the roster construction here? How much control does Claudia Reyna have over the roster construction here? Okay? How much, you know, are Reyna and Christ making the decisions here, or are they being overruled by Ferran Soriano, who has no idea how MLS is run? Could, you know, probably can't be bothered to find out how MLS is run because he's primarily responsible for Manchester City. You know, and so he's got, you know, justifiably split attention. Okay, um, and so if you fire Christ, who do you replace him with? If I'm, let's say it's Bob Bradley, because that was you know a legitimate response that was given to me by a fan. If you uh, look, can get him from Stabek, sure. If you can get him from Stabek, because he's he's at Stabek because he wants to coach in Europe. Okay, mm-hmm. if I'm Bob Bradley, I am not going to coach at NYCFC unless I have absolute control over my roster, and the, and that goes for any other MLS coach. Okay, they're not going to go to NYCFC unless they have major operational control over that roster. And I guarantee you that coaches are looking at what Jason Christ has to deal with, and they're saying, do I want to really go there? Okay, um, and that's a real problem because it should be a marquee destination. You know, and if then the response is, well, okay, we'll bring in, say, Patrick Vieira to coach, you know, um, and have him replace Jason Christ because he's okay. he's currently in the Manchester City youth setup yeah, yeah, yeah. coaching. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly, exactly. This, and this is nothing against Patrick Vieira, who's a fantastic guy, and I'm sure he'll be a fantastic manager if given the opportunity. But the history of foreign managers in MLS is littered with failures. I mean, abs- and there are some really good coaches there too. I mean, it's not like you're getting some scrub coaches, you know, as foreign coaches in MLS. There are some. I mean, Carlos Queiroz, say what you will about him, but he's a decent coach. He's not a dummy. I mean, he failed spectacularly yeah. coaching well, the Metro Stars. And they also had a World Cup winning coach fail spectacularly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, part exactly. of it is just don't coach that organization. <laughs> but, right. um, and so, it's also MLS so, is weird. It, it is weird. <laughs> you know, and, there's, and I don't think that there's a, a full appreciation for that you know, on the city football group side of the equation. You know, they don't have an appreciation for that. And that's, I think, how you wind up signing guys like Adam Nemitz, you know, on $300,000 a year. Because you think, well, we can afford to, like, blow three hundred grand. You could if you're playing, you know, if you're managing, like, St. Pauli, maybe. Um, you know, and I will say probably not because St. Pauli, you know, is a fairly <laughs> tight ship. But the point is, you can, if you're running a European team, you can afford to do that, more or less. If you're running an MLS team, that has severe roster implications. That, that you know? guy better be one of your best players. Yeah. Exactly. You know, or at the very least a major contributor. And so, yeah. you know, when I was saying, you know, sell mixed disc route, I'm saying that because you're not going to move Adam Nemitz on three. You're going to take a hit. You're going to take yeah. a painful hit on Nemitz, a $300,000 size donut in your roster. Okay. I mean, guys like Wingert and Grabovoy, you know, maybe you let them walk on threes, but then who are their replacements, you know, who have experience, you know? I mean, Angelino's been spectacular, but he's 18 years old. And what's the guarantee that he's going to be around next season? And so what I really see NYCFC doing um, are, is making a lot of the same errors that the Metro Stars made very early on. And they're just absolutely needless errors to be making at this point in time in 2015. You know? Jake. You kind of want to, you kind of really want to grab City Football Group's leadership and just kind of be like, really, guys, what are you doing? Like, let's be smart about this. You know? And the response when you mentioned that is like, well, you're just saying there's one way to build an MLS team. No, no, because the way that Real Salt Lake and the way that the Columbus crew structure the rosters is very different from the way that the LA Galaxy or the Seattle Sounders structure the rosters. Okay, You can be a big money team and still ruthlessly exploit the loopholes in the roster regulations that MLS has. Okay, 
Um, you just have to be very knowledgeable about what they are. And so to me, if I'm going to make an off-season change, the guy that I'm bringing in is Tim Liewicki, you know, if he's still available. Because that's a guy that has experience in MLS. That's a guy that can help construct a roster, and he has experience dealing with moneyed ownership. You know, And I'm telling him, look, if you're wanting to build a win-now team, then this is the guy that needs to be running. And maybe you keep Reyna so he can learn from Liewicki, you know, if you want. Um, but that's the guy that I would be bringing in to run the ship, quite frankly. Jason? Uh, Rafa, my question really um, kind of the consequence of some of the wasted money with NYCFC's mm-hmm. roster, it ends up showing through with the back four. Um, yes. Where there are, there are a lot of guys that have played in MLS, some of them maybe have seen their best days. Um, there are a few players that are young uh, that mm-hmm. don't have MLS experience, but um, I guess uh, it's sort of a, a catch-all, but um, what's going on back there? I've seen Jefferson Mina immediately start, but not immediately succeed. Um, Shea Facey has played multiple different positions. Um, Josh Williams was there, and now he's gone. It's sort of chaotic, and it, it seems like it's entirely down to the situation of having very little money to put together uh, back four in the end after you've given it all out to everyone else uh, in the attacking end. I think that's very true. I think the, um, there's a lot of... Um, truth to that. That being said, I would say that Angelino's been a fantastic addition as a left back. Um, even for being 18 years old, he's shown um, sort of a wisdom and a maturity beyond his years. Um, is he going to make some boners? Absolutely. I mean, because he's 18, and you just have to like allow for that. Um, but you know, he's going to more than make up for it in terms of skill and talent and so forth. Um, and Donny Iraola on the right back, um, he, I, I would say he's been a bit less effective. He's definitely been an improvement over what they've had um, at right back. Um, in ter- and I say they just because I'm not part of the team. I'm a fan. Um, but, you know, if you're looking at Jeff Brofsky, um, Brofsky is a great human being, not a particularly good right back. Um, R.J. Allen, they literally signed off the street. I mean, like I remember when they signed R.J. Allen, it was during that um, sort of injury crisis um, that we were going through. Um, earlier in the season, and like they literally signed him, he was like I think like a college coach or like a college assistant, like a graduate assistant. He got the call. He was can you can you play? Yeah, for sure. Then you know he played. He contributed um, in some pretty decent ways. Um, but you're still talking about signing a guy off the street, literally. Um, and so Iraola is definitely an improvement over those guys. Uh, then again, he's 33 years old, um, and you can see why Athletic Bilbao let their captain go. Is because you know he probably wasn't capable of bringing it in La Liga, you know, at that level. Um, so can he bring it in MLS? Sure, um, but it's still going to take some time for him to be acclimatized to the league. Um, and then obviously you've got. Um, I think Shea Facey has been much better at center back than he was at right back um, or left back. Um, so, you know, now we know that that's sort of his natural position. Um, and then Jefferson Mina, he was sort of like the last addition there. Um, he wasn't actually really even supposed to be starting at this point in time. Um, he sort of got pressed into emergency start duty, um, into emergency duty after, um, I think, uh, Hernandez got injured. And then, you know, he's been there ever since. Um, and, and I think Christ sees him as sort of like, a younger version of Hamas and Olave, um, but it's still going to take some time for him to get used to that and get used to the league. Um, and I think the parallel there is with um, Javier Calle, um, who's now again injured. Um, Calle is probably a fairly talented guy. He's got a fantastic left foot, um, but he's coming from the Colombian league. And, you know, that's a very different league from MLS in terms of how they structure their play. So, you know, so that's that. I think that's what you're dealing with in terms of the back line. Um, you know, and they had their moments um, a little bit earlier before Iraola and Angelino came by. Um, but now you've got to sort of rebuild that chemistry, and that's going to take time. And I think, um, unfortunately, it's probably going to come at the expense of New York City FC making the playoffs. All right, Rafa, I think we are out of time. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, you've been sure. a fantastic guest. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online? So we are on Twitter at, at Hudson River Blue. Um, we are on the internet at www.hudsonriverblue.com. Um, and you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hudson River Blue. 
Um, and we're always bringing you the best commentary, both serious and not so serious, on New York City FC. All right, before I get to the rest of the closing, Ben, I meant to ask you earlier <laughs> in this segment, what is your replacement drink? Because you failed utterly in the beginning of the show. I did Trying not. to bring a shandy on the show. You know that's a bad idea. I know. Our shandy that's a rookie mistake, and you're better than that. It, it is. It is. So I, I went back to, to, to my roots, and I went with Coke Zero and bourbon, and it was far superior. <laughs> Love I mean, shandy, shandy's, you know, I got to tell you, shandies are, you know, there's kind of hit or miss. I mean, if you get a good shandy, it's okay, but. For us on this podcast recently, yeah. they've just been on this, It's on been this all it's been a disaster. If you drink a shandy, it always the the person drinking it always ends up unhappy and switching out the drink. That's tragic. That's tragic. Yeah, I think that we've never had, except for the two shandies, we've never had someone say this this drink is completely unacceptable. Well, I can't I mean, even bother finishing it before I, I go get something new. I I did take straight shots of vodka on this podcast once, and you didn't yeah, replace that's, it. That's bold. Twenty. 2013 was a bad year for us. Well, that's true. It was, it, well, no, it, it, it was a historically bad year. I mean, that, that yeah. was just... That, that vodka was penance for that year. Yeah, bad stuff happened. <laughs> <laughs> thanks All for right. having me, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Everyone find us at blackandredunited.com. We are on Twitter, at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. As always, we accept love letters, hate mail, and advertising inquiries. Find us on iTunes, find us on Stitcher, find us on SoundCloud. Mostly, tell a friend about us when you are on the bus up to Yankee Stadium or in the bar on Thursday night. We will talk to you real soon. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. Thank you, Rafa. Thank you to our sponsor. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason.